Lauren and I just tried to start this podcast, but uh, her intro was kind of boring, but luckily it wasn't being recorded. Thank you. So. Oh gosh. We're back again. This episode of Pop Apologists is dating and romance themed. We've done things like this before, but we have some new listeners. So we think it's worth diving into again. And we got some amazing questions from the audience. So let's dig in. Correct. Yes. Very excited to do another kind of romance episode. We've only done one, I think that was relationship red flags. True. Um, But I don't believe we've done like a dating all around romance advice episode. So I think this will be good. And it was all inspired by Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly, you know, our favorite Hot Topic employees getting engaged. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Chandler, I'm dying to get your thoughts. I have very strong thoughts about it. When the news broke, it was actually the night of Watch What Happens Live. I immediately was taken aback by the engagement, but also saw it coming. I think, but literally the most aggressive and astounding part was truly the ring. So yes, immediately I I had thoughts. I'll just start off with my my stance on the whole thing. And that is that I want to cancel birthstones. Okay. I think that they are the tackiest way of self-identifying. Uh, uh, truly. And I, the, yeah. yes, I speak as someone who um, hates her own birthstone. What I is your born, birthstone? I was born in August and my birthstone is a peridot. peridot um, and it's a lime oh. green gemstone. It's so ugly. You don't want it. I've never a owned a jewelry with it. Yeah, it's it's look it up, everybody. It's lime green. It looks like something you would get in like a jewelry box as like a kid. It's it's awful. So I've always hated my birthstone and resented it because I love my birthday month, but hate my birthstone. Um, so yeah, I've chosen a life of hate for birthstones. And so I think this whole engagement ring, if everyone hasn't seen it, look it up right now so that you can understand what we're talking about, is centered on their birthstones. So it's an emerald and then it's a diamond, right? Right. And all you bitches with diamond birthstones, like screw you. Yeah. I love how, I love how you just want to cancel it because you didn't get a good birthstone. That's like all this. comes. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you had had a diamond birthstone, you would, you would be like all about your birthstone. It would be my most treasured thing. It would be like, well, I do have a diamond birthstone. So I just have a lot of diamonds because that is me, you know, most treasured way of Mm self-identifying. Exactly. I just don't know how Leo's got the worst birthstone. Like that just feels like a cruel injustice. I'd like the birthstone catalog or whoever, you know, decrees that to shake it up a little bit. But anyways, I, upon doing a little bit more self-reflecting, I have a theory. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. The ring itself is heinous. It is, a, it's a diamond and an emerald and they're kind of like shaped together to look almost like an asymmetrical heart or something. And I just think it's really gross looking. I didn't think it's like an eyesore. Okay. Frankly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was trying to unpack, obviously I hate birthstones, but I, I don't get sometimes the rings celebrities choose because I do think that they sometimes get really ugly rings. Right. Right. So I'll just say that upon a further unpacking, I feel like celebrities must find engagement ring shopping to be pretty hard because getting a big diamond is just like pedestrian level to celebrities because right. they just all can right. afford big diamonds. So then it's like, instead of doing, you know, a, a big diamond, everyone just does, tries to do something totally off the rails, mm-hmm. you know, evidence, a Megan Fox's engagement ring. It's like a wizard of Oz contraption. So I have some unsolicited advice to give to celebrities. And that is that you should find an amazing, like vintage ring, big stone, you know, whole thing, but find an amazing vintage ring that has like a cool story. Okay. Like that right. I think would be the perfect way to spend 
all that money if you want to do something unique. So all the celebrities listening, that's my tip. You're welcome. You hit the nail on the head. Basically, I think celebrities feel this impetus that they have to have something extremely unique and it has to Mm -hmm. obviously be like so expensive and so nice and it has to justify, you know, their own celebrity status on some level. Like it has to be as special as they are. And right. But that leads them into a trap where in the pursuit of something unique, they end up with something that is pretty weird looking. Like mm-hmm. I personally, Wizard of Oz contraption is perfect. I think it looks like it's part of the K Jewelers um, special Irish collection. <laughs> you know? um, I think that that, I think that the, the true issue is the band. The band is so mm-hmm. bad. Okay. This is what Machine Gun Kelly said about the band. He said, it's two magnetic bands of thorns that draw together as two halves of the same soul forming the obscure heart that is our love. I mean, first of all, first of all, if, if my fiance's engagement post sounded like an emo live journal entry, I would be mortified. It's all very Gothic Tumblr. And yeah. And, and like has light beauty and the beast feeling adult Disney things. Like I I don't want any rose thorn (laughs) allegories, like spare me. It's just so cringe. Like that is Mm -hmm. exactly it. It's the most cringy symbolism. I don't know. I just, I personally (gasps) believe what I was just going to, yeah, I said the symbolism, I think just indicates how really these celebrities have too much time on their hands that they can literally conjure and like and describe their relationship in like literal symbols. I don't know. I think it's so funny. It's very pot and cauldron adjacent, like the Mm -hmm. conjuring, you know what I mean? There's, there's definitely like waves of smoke going into the air around them, wherever they walk. It's just, it's also juvenile and the ring itself is just so bad. Like it really does look like it came out of K jewelry and the bands themselves, I think are what make it so bad. Yeah. So, which is sad because those are the things, you know, that are drawing are keeping the two halves of the same. Absolutely. So what yeah, is the that magnetic for force? Yeah. I know. Um, what did you think about them drinking blood? I think it's an Angelina Jolie, Billy Bob Thornton ripoff. Right. Like this right. is the next generation's version of that couple. Right. And that cu- couple was trashy to begin with. Do we really need another one? No, we don't. We don't. What did you think of the drinking of the blood? It just kind of grossed me out. Like, I'm, I'm in love with somebody, but I do not want to drink their blood. I'm not even like remotely interested in it. Well, and you can't really drink someone's blood, right? Like I'm pretty sure you can't actually drink human blood. Did you you look this up for that episode? Did you do any research on drinking? I didn't do any research on drinking. Wait, what do you mean? Like you can't swallow it? Wow. I really know your commitment. Or it's like Um, poisonous. I didn't do any research either. No, I think like literally you can't drink like a cup of someone's blood. I don't think like it was like, well, I heard people theorizing that maybe they like blended it into a smoothie, like a papaya smoothie. <laughs> was this like an Elizabeth Holmes, like Theranos situation? Just like, yes. A yeah. Oh, I'm sure it was a tiny amount. I don't think they like had a chalice of blood that they then <laughs> sipped from. Well, that's what I'm imagining. Cause when you say drink blood, like drinking is gulping down. I would know. I, I, I think it's, it's like not, literally a, a small it's not licking a finger. Just, yeah. I one time swallowed a goldfish. So I actually think I could drink someone's blood goldfish. if asked a live goldfish. If Ben proposed to you, but he wanted you to drink his blood as part of this experience. And he also wanted you to post about it, but that was the only way you could spend your life with him. What would you do? I would say it depends on the engagement ring. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's good. That's a good. Thought. I'd probably do it. I don't know. I would do it for the engagement ring. This engagement ring we're speaking of, but I would just get it completely reset and get rid of the emerald. Right. 
You I know? just break apart the soul. That's all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a little bit of housekeeping. Just want to chat with you, Chan, about the giveaway. So we are doing this month a giveaway. If you shout us out on your Instagram stories and tag us and include a link of the podcast so your followers can easily tap that link and listen, you will be entered to win a 14 karat gold butterfly charm necklace that I wear all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and absolutely love from Casita Jewelry. So cute. And I want to tell you, Chandler, that we've had 26 entries so far. So this Amazing. is not like a normal giveaway where right. there's thousands of entries. Like you can absolutely yep. have a pretty decent shot at winning. Right. Also, if you shout us out every week, every time you shout us out counts as an entry. Right. It'll run for the whole month of January. And another thing is it's really helping. Like even if you don't yeah. care, like you don't want that piece of jewelry, whatever it's our numbers, you guys from last week were significantly up. And I think it was because of absolutely. Well, I think what Lauren and I have kind of discovered is that what's really helpful with growth is word of mouth by far. Like if a friend of mine recommends a book or a show or something, like I am, I think 10 times more likely than if I just come across it on my own. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So let's get on to the meat of the episode, dating and relationships, all the answering your questions, our main tips and advice. Chandler, I called you yesterday um, because I, you know, wanted to chat with you about this episode and get your thoughts. And I said, you know, I just need you to think about like what your tips are in for dating. Like maybe look back what mistakes you made. Um, yeah, it was really rich. She calls me and she says, you know, we're discussing our answers to these questions. And then she goes, you know, like, think about your, think about your dating life and, you know, advice you'd have, like regret, regrets you've, you've <laughs> advice you'd have mistakes you've made. And I was like, what are your regrets? What are your, literally, this is going to be your regrets shaped into advice that episode. It's really sad because I didn't even realize I subliminally had such little respect for you as a, as a female dater. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, you you and I have different opinions on some things, um, which we'll get yes. into. So yeah. But yeah, Lauren has a little respect for me as a dater. It's really rich. Okay. So let's just like address some of these questions because mm-hmm. people wrote in and I don't know, I just, I was in the dating world literally a year ago, a little over a year ago. And like it, I, my heart goes out to you. It's not easy. So we're here to right. extol any advice possible, but you know, take it with a grain of salt Lauren and I definitely did have our fair share of trials and vicissitudes when it comes to vicissitudes. Um, uh huh. Impressive. Okay, Thank continue. You. Oh, you know, just another taking regret the SATs? I have. Another regret I have for my dating life. Maybe I didn't share enough of my beautiful vocabulary. That's another regret of mine. <laughs> also, how does Ben feel that I'm like, what are your regrets that it went so wrong? Luckily, you weren't on the speaker. <laughs> and you know, mom. Mom, when she met him, she was like, you're just truly my favorite out of all of her exes. I honestly hated like every other guy she's dated. Like um, she made me look like such a loser. It's such like a Stassi Schroeder moment when her mom met Bo and was like, oh my gosh, thank mm-hmm. goodness. Finally, finally, you met well, a good man. Right. Okay. Well, you did make a lot of mistakes and you I did. did date and as have you. characters. As have you. I have an unsavory dating history. What are you talking about? if I've dated characters, you've dated characters. No, the irony is honestly, I was much more 
Chandler had her head on her shoulders much more than I did dating. Like I, not only did I date characters, but I was just completely psychotic. I think when it came to my dating philosophies, when I was dating and the way I approached it, like I had, I didn't have a single clue. Here's where I think we differ. Cause I actually have been doing a little bit of self-discovery recently. <laughs> Gosh, no, I think that you dated care more characters. More people were, were just like, like kind of like <laughs> cock your head a little bit. You're just like, huh? Like, and, but I think that you are a little bit more coy. And I think that I dated, I dated guys who were just like, not great, but I fell way harder for them. So that's where I think you and I, like where we differed in our own, you know, poor dating history. I was always looking to date like a really big, big person, not like physically large, but like I wanted, you know, I really wanted that guest on, she wanted guest ons of personality (laughs) and pedigree and stature and stature. It's true. I did date a guy who was literally a doppelganger for Gaston, but anyway, I won't get into it. (laughs) Lots of beauty Um, and the beast here. Yeah. Lots of beauty and beast this episode. Anyway, no, we're here to go over the mistakes we've made. Um, right. I think let's get into our tips first, honestly, because okay, we've, we've done some soul searching and we do have like things that we look back on and we realize that we potentially did either incorrectly or just right. didn't even notice that there are red flags when they were appearing. So okay. should we talk about these? Yeah, let's get into it. Okay. So I'm going to right off the gate, I'm going to basically give the gold because I think that this is something that I made a huge mistake in. And I just want to help any young girl dating out there. And honestly, I think any woman. So when I was in my mid, early to mid twenties, I exclusively basically dated guys that were 10 years older than me. I thought that if I dated guys who were older intentionally and like filtered for older guys, I would a find guys who were already established in their careers. Mm -hmm. So then I could kind of like, literally I would, I might, I was like, hashtag skip the struggle. It's a little cringy <laughs> looking back, but I just was like, yeah, find someone who's not in that entry-level job. Find someone who's not, you don't have to deal with them going through medical school. Like just marry a doctor well, instead, you know, it makes also a lot for, of sense. For context, I think also you were kind of struggling yourself with figuring out what you wanted to do or like what your career was. So I just think that like, it really was like, skip the struggle. I don't, I don't want to have two people struggling. Right. Totally. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like we can't have two poets in this relationship. Mm-hmm. That exactly. Eat, so. <laughs> um, exactly. So I always thought a like older is better because they'll be ready to settle down. I think a big, you know, myth honestly, is that guys are not ready until like 35. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, okay, find someone who's a ready to settle down. They've sold the wild oats and they're in their career. Um, because I'm ready to settle down now. And that'll be like a perfect, combination. Also, I kind of felt like I'll always have the upper hand. I'll always be younger. I'll always be hotter. Um, and these are just dark, real thoughts, but this was my mentality. So this, however, is what happened. I ended up pre-selecting for guys who had commitment issues Mm -hmm. and guys who were jaded and guys who like to date inappropriately younger women, obviously. Right. right. And I just ended up literally filtering for like guys that honestly weren't good guys. Most. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and like, it's fine if you obviously, of course, if you happen to meet someone who's older and you guys really connect, that's great. But it's like, I think intentionally dating older guys is a mistake because Mm -hmm. you're pre-selecting for lower quality men. And that's just the truth. Additionally, I think that a lot of guys really 
I don't want to use like the term snapped up because it's a little gross, but I think a lot of good guys get snapped up fairly young. I think that if we're talking about, you know, really good quality guys, maybe they're not necessarily super interested in playing the field and they tend to meet their partners younger in life because they don't have that, you know, deep need to sow their oats and they meet someone who they're compatible with and they commit. And because they're a guy, that's just a good guy. They end up committing and in long-term relationships from with women that they met when they were like 25. Yeah. And so I think that there are a lot of good single guys out there in their twenties. And then that number goes down as you know, they get older because they just get taken up. They just get taken. Right. So for younger girls, I would say date age appropriate guys. That is a, yeah. I have. And maybe that sounds so obvious, but to me, it was not. And I thought it was like a genius for dating. Right. Older, for dating. Well, older. I think you and I, like, we wanted to date people who could take care of us. And, yeah. and so that, yeah, really was just a way to, that was felt like the easiest way to get there. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I dated someone who was older than me and I think ultimately it was a big learning experience more than like a, an amazing relationship. Right. That was one of my regrets. Here we go. Right. (laughs) So anyway, that's my, that's one tip that I really have. Yeah, I agree. I went on a date with a guy who was like, I was 24. I think when we went on a date and he was 31 and he literally said to me after we'd gone on maybe two or three dates, we were just talking about previous relationships. And he said, yeah, I was like seeing this girl for like a year and, you know, then like, she wanted me to like come back and meet her family. And like, she referred to me as her boyfriend and like, you know, like that, just like, that kind of was the end of us. Like those were actual words uttered from someone's (sighs) mouth after they'd been with someone for a year. Right. And, and not that that's like what every 31 year old guy is like, but just saying, and not that 31 is even that much older, but there's a very real degree of like perma bachelor mode that a lot of guys are in. Exactly. And that's the thing you have to pay attention to the things that they say and Mm -hmm. how they talk about other women, right? Because that is going to tell you how they're going to talk about you someday, which I think brings us to the next tip we have. Yes. Great segue. Um, how does he talk about his ex? I think this is a huge indicator of how he feels about women and yeah. how he like thinks that they have like lived experiences and how self-aware he is. Yes. Honestly, it's not just how he treats his mom. It's really how he talks about his exes. Mm-hmm. Like if he thinks every ex is crazy, if he thinks, right. if he thinks every ex is crazy, he will think all women are crazy. Mm-hmm. If he thinks every ex is still in love with him, he's a narcissist. Right. And if there's one ex in particular that he trashes a lot, he's probably still in love with her. So those right, are kind right. of, that's a little like, um, flow chart. You can, you can write great a little diagram for y'all. And I think like, is he on speaking terms with like a, a, a good amount of them? Like, I don't right. know. Are, like, are they, are they, has he written them off complete all of them? Like, are they all blocked on Instagram? I think everyone is within their right to have been wronged and, right. and wounded by someone and have someone that they don't speak to anymore and be on bad terms with them. But really like, I think the ultimately two should be the max number of people like that. And right. then beyond that, if they're not on speaking terms with more than two people that they've mm-hmm. dated in the past, that's a big red flag right, because ultimately right. it just means that they have huge ego issues and they're not willing to give any women closure and they're not willing to just have had a relationship basically well, wrap up in a healthy way. Totally. And I think also when you 
when you go through a breakup, that's bad. And then you move on to a healthier relationship. I think you, at least for me, I've turned back to that time and with compassion for myself and my ex. Like once I find a healthier relationship, I'm like, oh, I understand why we didn't work out. But I feel like if they just go from one bad relationship to the next, like, and and all of them end in flames, like that's more (laughs) about them. Exactly. Because I think every healthy person a year out is able to see what they did wrong and is able to feel totally fine about the other person. Um, And so if they still have bad blood, with another person, mm-hmm. um, more than more than two, more than two people, then they're a problem. Okay. So let's right. get on to the okay. next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what other mistakes did you make Chandler? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think another thing that I did that I did right was if I ever felt like scorned by a dude or like, I felt like things were hitting the skids or he kind of pissed me off or was honestly ignoring me, or I thought I was being ghosted. I deleted all of their messages and I found this to be incredibly cleansing. And I think one, one theme that I'm going to come back to is like when you're dating in order to keep your sanity, you need to find ways to like hit the reset button in your brain, either whether it's like after a breakup or mid talking to somebody and like not going as planned, like you need to find ways to like hang on to your sense of self. And I think like for me, one of those ways was literally deleting all of our text messages. Like mm-hmm. maybe this sounds crazy, but like, I literally, if somebody stopped responding to me and we got on a date or they, you know, had left me, yeah, left me on red, whatever, or they weren't asking me out. Like I would just delete all of our text messages. It was just like, be gone. You're out of like my sight. Right. Or, and delete their number. So you don't have an ability to text them. And basically if you've been ghosted, hit them up. Like, I think that's super important. Absolutely. Um, Like I brought this chaos into my life and I can also like delete it from my life. Get rid of it. Yeah. That, that was always super important is to never memorize the guys. This may be a crazy tip, but never memorize his number, like put his name in your phone immediately. And then if the time comes and things aren't going well and he's ghosted you or whatever, literally just delete his nut, right. his contact info, have no way of getting in touch and contacting him if it's I've, possible. I've sent my roommates their phone number. I've sent my siblings their phone number so that I could like verify if they were to text me that it was them. Right. Yeah. Delete it, block it. Um, okay. One thing I want to say quickly about blocking someone's number is in regards to when you're fresh from a breakup and I've been here a million times and you're just like sitting by your phone, like a pariah. You're just waiting and waiting for your ex to text you or for some conversation post breakup to start that would like take away your pain or whatever. Just, just like any type of attention from them. I feel like post breakup is like heroin to you. Um, and this also means that sometimes you lose your nerve and you text them, you know, are you mm-hmm. okay? I hope you're doing a well, I hope how you're mm-hmm. holding up. So I had broken up with a somewhat like serious boyfriend and Lauren told me, this is like one of her best piece of advices to me was to just like, after like three days of anguish of looking at my phone constantly, every time I would get a notification, I like, I was a prisoner to my phone and Lauren literally said, block his number. Mm-hmm. And it took me like literally probably a day to come around to this idea. And I think the reason why this was so hard is because when we initially broke up, he didn't like grovel for me in that moment. He just kind of right. said, okay, if this is what you want. So then, you know, I'm, I'm a prideful person and I honestly had like was heartbroken myself and I just wanted them to try to win me back. Like it was all pride based basically. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I took her advice and I felt like I took back control of the situation and I blocked his number for like 
two weeks straight. And honestly, that was game changing. It was the perfect span to have like my pride restored and my sense of self. And, and this like time I gained like the mental clarity to realize like that was the right decision. And it still sucked. Obviously I won't like pretend like I just all of a sudden felt better, but I just got to a place mentally where I could actually breathe and put it behind me. And in that span of time of blocking your ex's number, get a haircut, go on a random two day trip, like start a new hobby, just literally anything to feel like you've hit reset or you're like, you've advanced past the breakup. Right. Oh, that's a good tip. I think that ultimately like my big rule when it comes to breakups is that if you're still in contact with them, you're not actually broken up. You are remaining emotionally engaged, emotionally entangled. You can't actually move on or date anyone else. Like I was talking with a friend the other day and she was like, yeah, you know, we were broken up, but we still talk every day. And like, you're not broken up. You're not, you're absolutely not. Can you imagine going on a date with someone and you're like, oh yeah, my ex and I talk every day. Mm -mm. And we had no. this really like difficult breakup. Absolutely not. And it's crazy to me. People have such little self-control, but you really have to grow a spine. You have to delete his number, block him. And just, you have to throw out the defective produce. And that is how you can mentally start to, you cannot mentally move on until you have cut off no. all contact. And that is just the way it is period. It's just the way it is. And that's just the fact of life. Like yeah. you need a solid, probably nine months of not speaking to then if, you know, if you want to have some closure conversation, if something, you know, whatever, like, like what's funny is, is this is someone you dated. This wasn't a friend. And so this person isn't going to be in your life anymore. Like, of course they became your best friend, but ultimately they won't be in your life. And as hard as that is, like, once you get to the end of that nine month period, that cleansing period, you're not going to be in the habit of talking to them anymore. Right, what you're right. doing is you're regaining your emotional independence from this person. Mm-hmm. And once you have that, you're not going to, you're not going to care if you have their number because you're right. not going to be in that space where you're pining and like, you know, tempted to text. Exactly. So. Yeah. So true. Okay. Um, I do have another pro tip for everyone. And this kind of coincides with my last tip, but I think be open to dating a variety of guys. So this is something that I was not open to when I was dating. When I was dating, I was looking for a very specific type of guy, type of man. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember when I was, when I was like 26, I was in Napa for my friend was getting engaged and her, you know, soon to be fiance had planned this whole trip where she was going to get engaged in Napa. And then she would walk into a vineyard and every, all her friends would be there with this big surprise. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was amazing. Anyway. So I shared a room with one of the other girls who was there for the surprise and we were chatting, we were both single. And, you know, I was kind of complaining about the type of guys in Orange County and how they yeah. just really weren't what I was looking for. She's like, well, what are you looking for? And I was like, oh, I'm looking for someone who's like, you know, very much like left-leaning politically. I want him to be like Mm -hmm. really smart and soulful. I want him to be like, maybe like earth, like pretty earthy. Like I want him to (laughs) be interested in like having a farm someday. Um, Dress in tunics. <laughs> dress in like no, like dress in like Levi's and white t-shirts. Mm-hmm. I want him to be like extremely stable, like arms that I can fall into at the end of my weary days. You know, I want him to be like a, a Dennis Quaid lookalike from like the parent sure, trap. Sure. Like that was what I was looking for. It was right. like so incredibly specific. And I remember she like looked at me and she was like, 
Yeah. I, I, I think you're describing someone who like doesn't actually exist. Like, you know, that's the problem, right? Like that person doesn't, right. that's not even a real person. No, that person does not exist. A person is like, like literally a fantasy fantasy. Yes. He's a fantasy person. And he's definitely not like on Bumble and Mission Viejo. No, no, God, no, no. So so it took someone honestly saying that for me to realize like, wait, you're totally right. Like what I'm looking for doesn't even exist. And I have to be much more open to a variety of types of guys. And when I first started dating Kagan, he was absolutely not what I was looking for. Like he was, first of all, a year younger than me. He -hmm. was not a poet. Um, he had no interest in an agrarian lifestyle. Um, so disappointing. So disappointing. He did not want to become a gentleman farmer. And anyway, it just turned out though, that he was the type of guy who his day-to-day life was actually extremely compatible with how I like to live my day-to-day life. Right. And we ended up being super compatible, but he was not who I was looking for. Right. And I, and so I think you have to be open to a variety of guys, a variety of jobs, a variety of people. Absolutely. Yeah. But I do think not that, compromise on looks. That's a big tip I have to. I feel like I've, yeah, <laughs> don't do not compromise on looks. <laughs> that's a mandate from the pop apologist. Do um, not. M- women get told all the time they need to compromise on looks. And this is a hill I will die on. Like you should not compromise on being attracted to someone because that will get you through really difficult times when they're annoying the shit out of you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I just think also though, yeah, I've, I've had friends and roommates who were extremely specific and I feel like they have had like worse luck. Like I maybe dated some characters cause I really didn't have a type. Like, I don't know. Would you say that I had a type? I think you other than like, maybe not right for me. I think the difference between I'm more introverted than you. So I was more comfortable like spending years alone. And I think you yeah. really, you're more out- extroverted. You want people around all the time. And so you were more comfortable giving someone your spare time because you liked being, you, you know, liked being with another person. And so I think you're, I wouldn't say your standards were necessarily like lower, but you weren't, you were fine to not necessarily hold out for the fantasy that didn't exist. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think I also like, my was like, am I attracted to you one? And then like, is it fun to be around you? And then everything else was like, until I got maybe a little bit older, everything else was kind of like, "Eh, I don't really care about your job. I don't really care about like your like long-term potential. Like, you know, it's just like, are you fun to be around? Right. That was kind of it, which um, a lot of characters fit that bill. A lot of clowns, frankly. (laughs) So yeah, in my winding road of dating, I have spent so much mental energy texting guys who were not worth my time but also just like literally trying to do the dance of like courting and being courted. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think what I've realized in my short time, truly in the grand scheme of things of being in a good relationship is that the people who are, I had to constantly overthink every single move and every single follow-up text message was that perfect little dance of coy and witty and interesting and whatever was honestly like it was a person I probably wasn't compatible with because I had to do so much to like perfectly manicure myself into somebody that they wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. And to be realistic, like when you're, when you're trying to go on a date with somebody or meet somebody, like there is a degree of flirty banter back and forth that you like want to keep up. That's important. Right. Right. But I think this was always way more important to you than it was to me. If I continue. Yeah. Like I I wanted to be like dazzled by somebody via text before I went on a date with them. Right. Like I said, a lot of clowns fit the bill. Um, 
But basically after the first date, after maybe the first kiss, even like, I think you should be pretty comfortable texting and communicating with a person. And I think what I remember is like, even post those first, like things that should kind of break down some walls. Like I still was like doing the dance and Mm -hmm. I should have just like cut my losses and been more direct or just more comfortable. And honestly, like it was not worth my time. Well, I think the ultimate thing is is if a guy doesn't set you at ease enough to be able to Mm -hmm. just text him directly and to speak plainly, um, then I think that there's, there's something off there, especially past, you know, the first month of dating someone like you shouldn't have to overthink everything. Yes. One thing I heard recently, and I think is so true, is that a good relationship feels calm and peaceful and a Mm -hmm. bad relationship feels confusing. And if you're confused, if you don't know if he likes you, if you don't know what his intentions are, if you don't know if he's really in it with you or wants a relationship with you, then that's not a good relationship. And the answer is that he doesn't. And that's just, that is literally the hardest lesson that we all had to deal with. Cause I know I had to deal with it. Even like the last guy I dated pre Kagan, that I only went on a couple dates with was not a serious relationship or whatever. Only knew him for a, like a month, maybe. But I would say that even that, I was like, I look back on that and I'm like, of course he wasn't into you. Of course he was right. never took you that seriously. But for me, the confusion is almost like sometimes kind of fun because it's such a challenge. Well, and, but and it's such yeah. a high and such a rush when they do acknowledge you or they do reach right. out or like, like it's it's honestly addicting and it's yeah. That's I such I a remember- good point. It's, it's sort of like Pavlov's dog. Like when you totally. never know when you're going to get that serotonin, you become addicted to getting and that. And then that yeah, like when you do get it, it's like, I, I mean, I like, this is extreme, but I swear, like the more like somebody messes with your head, like the more invested I got almost because it was mm-hmm. like, when they did text me, I was like, oh my gosh, this person is totally into me. I've been reading too much into everything. Of course, they've always liked me. Like it just, I literally, with like the, the form of self gaslighting, my favorite word um, was insane. Well, I, that's what it is. Um, I, like, I think yeah, if there's a high every time they text, like a big high, like, and you feel like it's like a victory, like, yes, they do like me. They don't right. like you enough. They don't like, they don't you. like they you, don't. you enough. They don't like you enough. Right. 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 Exactly. They might like you enough to try to hook up with you and like, they might like you enough to, you know, try to see you, but they don't actually like you enough because ultimately the right relationship communicating will not feel like every time it's this, this, you know, victory. It's, it's, that's the thing. Like you can be excited when somebody texts you. Like I still get like a little, I still have like a little bit of a Pavlov's dog, like response whenever Ben's name like pops on my phone. But like, if you feel like it's literally victory, like you've won or like right. you feel intense relief. Right. It's like, right. Oh, you should, you should look inward about those feelings because it's, it's not a, an indicator of a healthy relationship. I remember there was this guy who was dating and he would, he, we would go on a date on like Thursday or Friday or Saturday yeah. night. And then I wouldn't hear from him until like the next Thursday. Ugh. And, you know, we weren't in a relationship. So I just kind of talked myself into the mm. idea that this was normal. Right. And that I was, needy for wanting more communication. Mm -hmm. And I would never text first, obviously. And so, but it was excruciating. And every time he would text, it would be this big victory. Like he is so into me. Right. Um, but ultimately like I look back and he was absolutely not someone who was ever interested in commitment or settling down. And he was dating a lot of girls and 
I was just one in a Rolodex. And, and I think that that's, you know, you're one in a Rolodex when you get very intermittent communication. Right. Right. If you do not know when they're going to message, like you should know when you're hanging out next within 48 hours of a date. Like right. you, they should reach out within 48 hours to plan the next date. That is the way like an actual courtship runs. It does not run that there's four days of no contact, exactly. a week of no contact between the next scheduling. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I went on a date with somebody one time and at the end of the date, he was like, yeah, we should, I was like, we both have said like, yeah, let's hang out again. And then he was like, yeah, when? And I was so like, almost like crashed my car because I was so <laughs> shook. Yes. I was driving him. That's another story. Um, he, and he was great, but I literally, I was so shook by the fact that he wanted to make plans in person for the next time we would hang out. Mm-hmm. Like, because men just, I mean, in my experience, this was like uh, lots of times guys would wait until f- it'd been four days or like, or we'd text, but they wouldn't talk about hanging out again. Right. And I'd have to do the dance of like, yeah, maybe we should watch that show we're talking about together, you know, or like, and so anyways, I just thought that was so funny. Cause I had never had a guy literally make plans in person with me at a date for the next time we were going to hang out. You're like, what? What are you talking about? Literally compute. I had, I, and I'm a big planner, but I was like, I don't even know what my, like what I, yeah, I was. Crazy. Yeah. Okay. So enough tips. Let's get into some of your questions. And I think this first one is very, very common and Lauren and I have maybe slightly different opinions on it, but I think that we ultimately like work, we're closer than we think. Okay. Anyways, without much further ado, the age old question of how soon you should sleep with somebody. Spicy. Spicy. Sorry, we're going to kick it off with a bang. So I'll try to keep this concise, but I think that sleeping with someone soon can either be not a big deal at all and really make no difference, or it can lead to confusion. What I reject about a lot of like dating mentalities people had is that it's detrimental because I don't think that it's ever like detrimental. I think that if you meet someone and it happens sooner, it can be amazing. And I think it's key to really just pay attention to those other critical signs. Like, are they making plans? Are they dodgy over text? Basically. And you know, if you wait a really long time, you will definitely weed out people who are just trying to like sleep with you, but sometimes waiting isn't what you always want. And, and sometimes you do want to like get to that stage and like get to know them in that way. And so I guess like net net, just because you hook up with someone doesn't mean it's any indication that they're going to date you, I guess. Like it's just, you should look, be looking at other data points to get to that conclusion. Yeah. I mean, I was always, when I was dating, I was always very afraid to, we'll just say, we'll just use the euphemism hook up with someone because I just, it felt extremely vulnerable. It just wasn't something I really wanted to do unless I knew that we were in a committed relationship or it was like very much, that's what this person wanted from me. Right. Um, and it wasn't like, it wasn't any sort of like internalized slut shaming or anything like that. It really just was like, I don't feel comfortable being naked with another person if they're not committed to me. Like that just wasn't Mm -hmm truly just did not, was not, did not compute. And I felt insulted that people would expect that I would be comfortable with that beforehand. And I just like, really, yeah, I was like, absolutely not. And so my mentality when I dated was that I always waited until there was like signs of serious commitment and that this person was going to be like my boyfriend. And that I I, honestly, I would wait at least a month. Um, 
And for me at that point, a lot of times I wasn't, I was no longer dating that person because I had lost interest or they had lost interest. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, yeah, like my, my mentality is for me and my mental health and my sanity is I like to wait, you know, really at least a month and at least four dates, you know, spaced out a week apart and give it some time because ultimately that's what I felt like was a very easy way of weeding out guys who were not interested in, in a relationship. So that was how I, how I worked. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with one night stands. If you're interested in that, go for it. Like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying that's not what I personally felt comfortable with when I was dating. So, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I just think that like, it's not to me, it's just not the, actually the biggest data point or the biggest like indicating factor. I think like, like you're saying, like take, taking you out on dates, like like those are bigger indicators in my opinion of like being, and, and those things come naturally with your process. It's just, I think it's really, yes. I think it's really just when you're comfortable with it, you know, and that yeah. it comes oh, at different always, points for yeah. different people and that's right, it, you right. know, definitely. Okay. So I'm going to move on to this next question. So this person asked navigating being ghosted, call them out or let it go. We obviously live in a time where people are very comfortable calling each other out that we know. So I'm going to say that my opinion is probably a little bit controversial here because I think that like ghosting can be like a true gift from above. Mm -hmm. I have never liked hearing to my face that someone I like didn't feel a spark. I'm an Enneagram four. I'm a Leo. I'm sensitive and prideful. It's a toxic combo. And I've gone on like amazing, great, great dates. And then I've gotten totally ghosted and it sucks. I went out with this like darling industrial designer. Okay. Like he was very cute. He'd gotten out of a serious relationship, which to me was like an indicator of like, okay, he's interested in serious relationships. Um, and I thought it was going to be a, a beautiful relationship between two deeply creative people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, and he totally ghosted me. Like we had two dates and basically, you know, there was a lot of time in between the first and the second. And then after the second, it was like radio silence. And in that moment, I, I like mourned it and truly like, I, yeah, I hated it. It was awful. And I went round and round with my roommates and in my head, like, why isn't this working out when it was so great at first, but then like, he didn't tell me what happened. And I just kind of like made up the excuse in my brain that he got back together with his serious girlfriend who was the love of his life. And I, I think for me, I swear in my brain, it's easier if I can like compartmentalize it as like something crazy as something crazy and like out of the ordinary has happened rather than like them telling me the words that like they didn't feel a spark. Like I don't yeah. want my brain to have that knowledge to have to like deal with it and store it. Like just store the idea that something crazy happened. I think that ghosting gets a bad rap. Like it's literally just the way of communicating. You're not that into someone else and it's a universal language. And I think it's so much better than saying, Hey, I'm not that into you. Right. I personally think that if you've been on three or less dates, Mm -hmm. then I truly think you can basically go someone. Absolutely. If if you're married to someone, you should probably let them know that you're breaking (laughs) up. If you're, if you're exclusively dating someone, don't ghost them, but like everything else, like it's just all is fair in love and war. A hundred percent. And it is so Debbie Desperado to text someone who's ghosted you. Like, absolutely not. You're not calling them out, calling them out it's just a loose scenario because all you're doing is highlighting the fact that they're not into you and making yourself look desperate in the process. This is the ghosting rule girls. This is the ghosting rule. If you are ghosted by someone. Okay. 
you do not text them back. You move the, you move the F on, you move the right. F on. And then if they ever reach out again, you pretend that you ghosted them. So you say something like, Oh my gosh, so sorry. I haven't texted you in a while. I've been super busy. I've been crazy busy. And you know, like, you know, what's up, whatever, but absolutely not. You do not text them. It is such a gift. And ghosting is a gift. Yes. I love that strategy. That's so funny. Okay. A listener said, I'm not Mormon anymore, but I'm scared to date non-Mormon guys. Um, so I actually reached out and I asked her for a little more context because I didn't want to assume anything here. Mm-hmm. And th- this person said that she was afraid essentially that all the non-Mormon guys at the secular college she goes to are only interested in hooking up or not interested in anything committed. And she wants a, like more of a commitment. She wants a boyfriend. Of course. Yeah. You know, I think that's what most of us want. So I'm just going to say that I think that when you grow up Mormon, which we did, Mm -hmm. um, there's very much a narrative that guys who are not in the church are going to be, you know, exclusively interested in playing the field are not Mm -hmm. going to want to commit are not going to want to settle down. Right. Are probably going to have some sort of porn problem. Mm -hmm. Um, are probably gonna have a substance abuse problem at some point are going to cheat on you. Like there's just this way that men are talked about outside the church outside the Mormon church. And when you're in it and I want to dispel that for you, like that is just not the case. There will be players in the church and there will be players outside of it. And it's literally, it's, it's the same spectrum. Absolutely. It's the exact same spectrum. I think that like Lauren, we certainly had a mentality that like, if your man wasn't compelled by like God, he was like completely fallen. And that's just not true. Cause I've dated guys who were Mormon who were disrespectful or, you know, like any other like gamut of issues that men have. And right. so I just think that you, you run into the same issues with regular guys that you do with Mormon guys. And I don't also think that all men who are living outside of religion are, you know, morally doomed. Well, that's, that's actually, that brings up what um, I was thinking, which is that, you know, in the Mormon church, this is like, there's this idea that the natural man is an enemy to God. Mm-hmm. And, and basically that says that like, you know, religion is what keeps people moral and what keeps men faithful and monogamous. And the biological reality is that humans are mammals that pair bond. And that's a biological term. And some mammals basically copulate with, and I was kind of nerdy, but copulate with any, like with anyone, they do not have long-term relationships. They just, you know, whatever that, you know, that's what they do. They do the unspeakable with virtual strangers. (laughs) Um, uh, think bonobos think like, you know, deer anyway, but other mammals pair bond and they have other partners that they have for years and even lifelong partners. Mm -hmm. Yes. There are, you know, there are other relationships that can happen. It's complicated, but literally it's biological that humans are relationship oriented pair bonding mammals. And so you can actually just comfort yourself with that very much fact and reality that has been observed by scientists. So believe the science and, you know, get out there. And honestly, I can tell you that it's just not the truth. Like when I met Kagan, he was 26 and all of his friends were 25 or 26, basically. And they were all dating girls that they had met when they were like 22 and 23. 
they are all still his close circle of like five guys. They're all still dating those girls now at 30. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there are tons of guys who are 22, 23, meeting the loves of their lives and interested and, in, you know, commitment oriented guys. So I think that's just a myth and I'm happy to dispel it for you. Um, I side note, I would like to see you have a show on national geographic where you <laughs> instill, uh, the belief in love to women across America through biological and mammal knowledge. I just, I found that to be very moving. So thank you. Thank you. I mean, you literally, it's just use your own powers of observation. It's not like men outside religion, never get married or never have long-term relationships. They're right. Like right. And at the clubs for their whole lives. I am literally picturing you speak like at a zoo, like with binoculars <laughs> on, like saying, well, open your eyes around you. Look at these pair bonding mammals, women, young ladies, like, believe in love. And you don't need and- to worry. And you can find just, you can find a great guy. And guess what? You're actually in the best phase of your life to find yeah. a great guy. So get excited. Wow. Um, that was really, wow. Moving. Was that inspirational? It was inspirational. Okay. So we actually still have quite a bit to get through Chan. So what I'm thinking is let's talk about this more on the patreon okay and we also need to talk about of course recap our trip to new york and going to watch what happens live with heather mm-hmm. obviously of course people know about it because we were spotted on dumois so you know that just happens now we're people who are paparazzi right it's just where you have the most recognizable back of uh ahead of blonde hair you've ever seen like people just know Correct. it's us <laughs> probably one of the best moments of our lives. Um, Easily. We saw that coming through. Anyway, we're going to talk about that, our entire Watch What Happens live experience, and that's going to be on the Patreon episode out this Friday. So if you want access, you can find the link in our show notes. Love you, Chan. Love you. Bye. Bye.
that's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at popapologists, and we will see you next week, live every Wednesday. Do you ever worry about running out of interesting things to say to friends when you actually get to see them? Then we've got the perfect podcast for you. I'm Eve Yohalem, and each week on Book Dreams, my co-host Julie Sternberg and I use books to explore fascinating questions, like what happened when a Harvard professor staked her reputation on an alleged gospel of Jesus's wife that turned out to be fake? And how did debut author Tom Lynn save the American Western by blowing it to bits? Are pigeons rats with wings or wonder birds? And what's the who, what, when, where, how, and especially why of books bound in human skin? Recent and upcoming Book Dreams highlights include conversations with Booker Prize-winning author Marlon James, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Catherine Schultz, and Merlin scholar Dr. Laura Campbell. You can listen to Book Dreams wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists, owners of The Therapy Group, and hosts of The Shrink Chicks Podcast. Every week, we bring you a new episode where we dive into therapeutic topics like inner child work, dating anxiety, family dynamics, relationships, and burnout. Making them more relatable and understandable, leaving the psycho babble behind. We address the things you've been dying to ask your therapist but don't know how and work to help you stop shooting all over yourself with the expectations society can put on us. Tune in every Monday to Shrink Chicks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow along and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Prepare to learn all about you because in order to grow yourself, you gotta know yourself.